1: and read my latest articles, or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Killstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World Podcast. Welcome to a special episode of the show brought to you in partnership with Arlington Economic Development, where we discuss issues related to the workforce, the role of place in the future of work, and the role of the creative sector in a larger business context. We call this Return on Creativity. Today we have an excerpt from our September 14 event, Return on Creativity, Return on Leadership. I hope you enjoy. The name of the panel is leading by example. We've got um, Shante Eldridge from Amazon Web Services, Nancy Green from Avius, and Leon Shosha from Workhouse Arts Center. And uh, we're gonna talk about a few things here. I'm gonna have everybody introduce themselves and in, in their roles as well, but... Um, to have begin our final panel of the day, we're going to talk about leading by example and the role that leadership plays in building the future workforce and the future of work. Um, to get things started, um, we'll go we'll go around the panel here, and but I'd love if you could introduce yourself and, and what you do, as well as answer the question: What's the biggest leadership lesson you've learned so far from the pandemic? Um, and uh, Shante, we'll we'll start with you.
2: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having us today. And hopefully you guys can hear me okay. So my name is Shantae Aldridge. I'm an executive government advisor with Amazon Web Services. And so if you're not familiar with Amazon, we're a part of Amazon, like everybody knows about Prime. And my role is to really work with our government leaders. And that could be the CIO, the CFO, the chief of staff, the elected official, and helping them create new different uh, technologies that are really going to improve how they deliver services to their constituents. And the one thing I learned during the pandemic through leadership is, as you can imagine, we got very busy at Amazon Web Services, AWS, when the pandemic hit because governments realized, oh no, my website crashed. I have no call center and my entire staff, the entire staff just went home and all the records are physically in this office. And so I was doing a lot, you know. because I had 23 years prior government experience, I kind of knew how to maneuver that, that situation. And I was taking on everything and I'm a builder. So every gap I saw, I was like, oh, I can fix that. Oh, let me go talk to that person. Let me help him and see if I can do that. And by eight months in, I was burnt, you know, and I, I tell people all the time, I think I'm working, I worked more during the pandemic than I did when I was in government, you know, because I was getting up at seven, putting on my work pajamas and I would turn around and it's nine o'clock at night. And thank goodness I had a very supportive spouse, but I was like, did the kid get fed? Did the dog get fed? You know, and I realized I I can't do that. So my leadership lesson was, you have to take time for yourself, and you can't do everything.
1: Wonderful. Thank you. Nancy, how about
3: you? Sure. Hi, I'm Nancy Green again. Thanks for, for inviting me. Um, I'm a senior vice president at Avius, which is a division of Med Decision, which is a care management platform uh, and who is owned by HCSC. So um, really large um, parent company. Avius is a small boutique consulting company um, in healthcare around um, customer experience strategy consulting and, and making sure that the businesses in this fast changing healthcare world can um, can really survive and thrive. Um, and uh, my background is in healthcare, my background is in, in the consulting and digital technology space, so it's been, it's been a fun ride. I actually came to the company in the midst of, of the pandemic year, so I was on my own as an independent, um, so it was, it was, that was different. Uh, what have I probably learned for leadership, um, probably a little bit like Shante, trying to do too much, but I, I think for me it was more um, looking around and making sure that I was empathetic to the to the different things that were that were happening. I, I think we kind of just have a tendency to just you're on a call, you just go and you just get business going. And then I just really learned to just listen, um, and listen to what was going on and be able to pick things up from from folks that that someone might not be not 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 be doing so well. Uh, and I you know and these were not just my direct reports; these were direct reports of of the team members across across the globe. So. Um, yeah, I would I would say that so resilience, adaptability, um, empathy, or the, the leadership things that, that I really kind of stood out for me in the last year or so. Beautiful.
4: Leon, how about you? <clears throat> Thank you, Greg. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'm Leon Schoscher. I'm the president and CEO of the Workhouse Art Center. And for those of you who don't know anything about us, uh, we're housed in the former workhouse prison facility of the D.C. Correctional Complex in Lorton, Virginia. Um, The workhouse opened in 1920, and when it closed in 2001, the facility was transformed into an art center. Now, I've only been here for about six weeks, but for Mm -hmm. the last seven years um, and for most of the pandemic, I was the uh, executive vice president at the uh, Strathmore Hall Foundation in North Bethesda. And for those of you who don't know about Strathmore, it is a multidisciplinary multidisciplinary art center uh, and presenting organization. So, for me, during this pandemic, um, and because I work in the nonprofit culture realm, I would say that the biggest leadership uh, lesson that I've learned so far is that um, I'm so happy when Friday rolls around because that means I only have two more days in the work week to work. Uh, We work so much in this nonprofit environment that um, I think the thing that I've come to realize is that, especially during the pandemic, cross departmental training is really essential in order for us to survive um, we have such a, a limited staff and and we have had so many uh, staff uh, have to be laid off that that cross departmental training is very important for us now and i think in the future as well
1: thank you yeah good to good to have everybody introduce themselves here so i'll start um and Shante, I'll start again with you first question to everybody uh you know the the name of this panel is leading by example. So, you know, what, what does leading by example mean to you? And I'll kind of throw in one other follow-up if, you know, if you want to answer this as well is has leading by example changed, you know, by its very nature of not everyone being, you know, being physically present and and everything as well.
2: For me, leading by example has changed, but not because of the pandemic it's because I got older. You know, how I used to interact with my colleagues or staff has definitely changed now that I am I'm knocking on a half a century. And I think leading by example, also, you have to take bits and pieces from the different leaders you're engaging, you know, and I think sometimes we try to emulate, oh, they're a great leader. Let me let me do that. Contrary to what people think, I'm an actual introvert. Now, I'm I'm an introvert that presents as an extrovert, but I may not be able to lead in the same way that someone who has a different personality than me. And so, but what I'm looking at when I'm leading by example, am I treating people fairly? Am I treating people with kindness? Am I recognizing those subtle cues that the people I'm around are, that something's not right? And I also want to talk about leading by example isn't always just the person at the top. You know, again, something I realized later in my career, there are lots of leaders out there. Not everyone is the manager or the CEO, and so you can also lead by example of not only yourself, making sure that you're treating people, but even if you're not a manager or a CEO, you can still be a leader.
1: Wonderful, Nancy. What, what are your thoughts?
3: Completely agree with with Chante Again, I think um, uh, leading by example has always been, you know, just. It early early career, watch me. I'll I'll do it. I'll lead by the front, lead from the front. And and I still I still do that. I am an extrovert and I present myself as an extrovert. My husband is an introvert. So I completely understand. Um so for for me you'd asked a, a little different twist on it, um, right, Greg. And and has it changed? And I think Um, leading has changed a little bit in the pandemic, because you really have to look at things a little differently. And I I was speaking with someone this morning about this exact question, and that you have to do things a little differently when you're so remote. Um, I have never had a problem. I've been on the road and doing things for years, you know, never had a problem working remotely. There are a lot that have. And the leaders in those organizations, like Shantae said, kind of bubbled up to the top that were the cheerleaders and the, you know, really worried about their teammates. And um, and and we just worked with them to, to show them as leaders and show the the work that they're doing and, and the positivity that they're working on, even though not everything was positive. So mm-hmm. for me, it's, you know, leading by example, uh, leading from the front, um, but really adding that empathy. Uh, I can't kind of reuse that word probably, but, um, it's important. It's important to be empathetic, to
4: understand.
1: Thanks, uh, Leon. What are What are your thoughts?
4: Yeah, for me, leading by example means, and, and to paraphrase an old saying, you have to walk the walk and talk the talk. Um, at Strathmore, at the height of uh, or the start of the pandemic, we were forced to lay off a quarter of our staff. We furloughed additional staff, and the rest of us who remained there took pretty substantial pay cuts because arts institutions were the, some of the first businesses to close and are still some of the last ones to truly reopen. Um, so we were forced to make some really difficult personnel decisions, there was no earned income coming in and little if non non earned income uh, being realized. So leading by example for me is, or in this case, leading out of necessity, uh, forced me as an arts institution leader to wear many different operational hats. You know, as a result of this, I was able, I think, to convey to the remaining colleagues on staff that there wasn't anything that I wasn't prepared to do in order to keep the organization open, keep it vital, keep it relevant. Um, For example, I took on, you know, additional uh, business office functions. I processed unemployment claims. I worked on uh, CARES Act funding applications. I took over the security functions. I dealt with maintenance and HVAC scheduling things. You know, I did everything that was needed to do in order to keep that organization open and hopefully um, getting us to a stage or getting them to a stage now that I'm no longer there where they could welcome 2,000 people back into the concert hall at one time.
1: Yeah. Great. Uh, So next question, I'll change up the order here a little bit. Uh, Nancy, if if you don't mind taking this one first. Um, So, you know, we, this term was already mentioned today, but uh, many people are calling this the great resignation, you know, so many workers are either changing jobs or considering changing jobs. And for a lot of for a lot of reasons it's not necessarily even dissatisfaction with their actual job it could be lots of you know personal reasons or just kind of rethinking things how does a how does a leader preempt a resignation or just respond to this this general you know kind of um era that we're in right now
3: yeah i don't know how much you can preempt it i think you can Watch for it, but you know, interesting um, in in the med decision world, uh, it's a technical world, so um, it's a little. We, we haven't seen too much of the resignation, the great resignation, kind of hitting us, because it's normally a little bit higher paid and it's a very technical type of, type of job. But what I can tell you is that the employee base have, has. Um, it's a different issue. It's I'm sorry, my my cat come come to spend some time with us. Uh, is really about that the, their job has to mean something. If I'm going to do this, I, it has to mean something. Am I doing something in the right, um, you know, the right way? Uh, they're just very intentional uh, about what they're doing. So it's not that, um, it's not that you know, that this whole world is going to, you know, resign and, and change. Their priorities may change. I think one of the things I read earlier uh, this week was something um, like most, of, Or mostly a huge percentage of the Gen Z don't want to go to work in a traditional world. They want to work by themselves and, and be self-employed, and that really changes the landscape completely. There, it's not their parents or grandparents' um, workforce any longer. There's no pensions to take care of them for life. They, you know, they they are coming into this of I you know I want it to make a difference, and I want to be able to make my own money and and you know and, and be the boss of myself. Great. Um, Shante, what are what are your thoughts, sir?
2: Yeah, I think the first thing I would think of is when a leader is looking at their workforce, recognize and accept some people just might not want to work for you, and that's okay. You know what I mean? So don't take it personal. It's just what's going to happen. But I think there's two things that they should also be looking at. One, we are recognizing during this great resignation that some people are leaving because they're not fulfilled in their job, and so I think leaders need to look at what am I offering because. You know, again, I came from government. We always can't offer money, especially if it's a small startup or a smaller company. But what are those things that we can do to make our employees feel better about the work they're doing? Again, I'm not talking about pizza parties, right? Maybe you have a lot of, you know, Nancy brought up the younger generations want to be more philanthropic. So can we do something where we're giving back to community because that's going to make people feel whole. And I think the other thing that we're going to have to do as leaders is also look at the rules that we were creating, as Nancy said, for our grandparents and their grandparents. We always understood. Again, I'm not going to talk about my age, but we, you go to work, you drive down wherever you're going to go, you get, you sit in 45 minutes of traffic, you work in a building, you sit in an hour and a half to get home if you're in the DMV area, and and that's just life. Well, we need to really rethink that. You know, I'm working with a lot of customers at call centers. Call center does not have to be in brick and mortar anymore. Those rules can change. There is, come from AWS, there is technology that is gonna enable people to be remote. So although we we are ingrained to thinking people have to function and have a workforce or environment that looks like this, as leaders, we need to sometimes take a step back and say, do they really have to come in? Can I do flex schedules where I have working moms and dads where maybe they'd rather work 10 to seven and not nine to five? You know, so I think as leaders, to again as Nancy, I don't think we can head off the great resignation, but we can definitely look at what we're doing to make sure that the people that we do have working for us, that do want to be there, are having a great
1: experience. Okay. Leon, what are what are your thoughts here?
4: Um, for us here in the cultural sector, I'm going to expand upon this great resignation uh, term a little bit and say it's also been a great layoff and now a great rehire. Um, the pandemic is receding for our cultural entities, you know patrons are returning to performances, albeit with uh, restrictions, such as wearing face masks when you're in the performance hall. Maybe even having to show proof of a COVID test and, and while that's a positive step in the right direction for our, our industry, um, we have to gear back up with the necessary support personnel. You know, we laid off the ushers, the ticket takers, the backstage production technicians, maintenance personnel, housekeeping staff. And, and they're hopefully working, they were working, they got a job somewhere else. So we're not gonna be able to rehire those same exact people that we had to lay off. And, and that's a challenge for us in terms of uh, retraining. So we have to, as art leaders, I think we have to find a way to shape the culture of a new team. Help bring clarity to what it is that we need to do to welcome thousands of people come, to come back into our performance halls, and I think this new team culture can and, and should help our institute institutions achieve a, a revised mission. So you know, how do we respond? We create a new work environment. We make uh, those folks that were left uh, and those that are coming back to our industry feel like they're a part of something new, uh, a new mission. Um, and at times we'll have to keep changing as as circumstances change. So for us in, in the cultural industry, like I said, it's it's not just resigning, it's it was a layoff and it's now trying to rehire everybody back. Yeah. Well and
1: to kind of follow up on the the last point that um, that you touched on there, it's you know there's been a lot of work I think to change and to adapt to the current different state of being right so you know we were we were going along and and you know there's always change in business but you know things things sort of had their flow and and then all of a sudden we had this this massive change i think the role of the leader moving forward is not necessarily just to help people adapt to this one change or maybe there's going to be a shift backwards it's kind of what you touched on there leon which is to be able to create this adaptivity, this continual, adapt I mean, I'm a big fan of agile, you know, I have a big agile word (laughs) in my background here and a big believer in that from, you know, both from a technical as well as from a business standpoint is agility, resilience, whatever, you know, whatever terms you want to use there. It's not about changing once it's about anticipating and and teaching others how to, to do that as well. So I guess my question, and Shante, I'll I'll start with you here, is how does a leader, you know, a leader has been, most leaders have been through a lot of different things and and have learned some of those skills. How do you pass that on to the rest of your team to help them, you know, change and adapt as, as well?
2: I was just on a call with some internal colleagues and one of my peers recommended something and I was like, man, that's ingenious. When he has his staff meetings, He is not, his one-on-ones with each of his members of his team, he does not ask them about what they're working on. He goes, we have all those other mechanisms, right? I'm doing evaluations. We have quarterly business reviews. We may have weekly things. He goes, I'm already getting that information. At each one-on-one he has, which is either bi-weekly, he actually asks them, what do you want to work on as a leader? And how can I help you achieve that mission? And I thought that was amazing because a lot of times, we sometimes don't talk to our staff or even our peers until it's evaluation time. And in some cultures, you're only evaluating once a year. So you're never really asking your employees, well, how, are, how are you doing? And it's again, not about work. How are you doing? How are you growing? And so I think having that one-on-one dialogue about leadership, the person that you're talking to will be able to pick up on how you're leading. And then you can also have some homework. Cause I always say it's not a me unless there's homework. But there's something that now that person is working on for themselves so regardless if they stay with your company or not you're then still imparting some of your leadership qualities on them but when i heard that i was like man it's so simple but he's right we always we we have so many ways to figure out the work's getting done how about sometimes we just bring back humanity and have just a dialogue and a conversation
1: yeah that's great nancy what are your thoughts on that
3: yeah i completely agree with that that's a great idea um I think in in the in the last probably several months I've I've really seen it where uh, you have to build leadership teams with adaptable other leaders. Uh, not everyone is adaptable though. That you know they may have grown up in a world of going into an office and I'm taking care of a call center. How the heck do I do that remotely? And I don't know what to do or how to do it. So to Shante's point, really listening to what what can help them i do some mentoring in uh, for women in healthcare, and a lot of times it's like oh you mean i i can ask them that like well yeah you know what what other things could i do or what other opportunities are there so just to kind of keep your your ear to the to the tone i know for us we've instituted um team lunches and we don't talk about work you can't once a month and um, that's when we hear about, you know, actually yesterday with one of the team members, her 10-year-old son was gonna go ask a girl to be his girlfriend. And, you know, it was just the the funness of really learning and about the team and their daily lives and the struggle that they have to go through or the different things. So learning about that adaptability, how they're doing and what they're doing and what they want to do, I think is the the key as well. We found several people who didn't particularly like the job they got put into because of changes that they really wanted to go that way. And so that's, you know, that's to, to an earlier question, kind of preempting them leaving because they really wanted to do something different. And you wouldn't have
4: known that if you didn't just spend some time listening.
1: Okay. Leon, what are, what are your
4: thoughts? Well, again, in our industry, um, I think the pandemic has shown that as leaders, we need to remain at all times flexible. Um, for me, the key word is just flexibility. Um, I believe cultural institutions are going to be confronting confronting the uh, lingering pandemic effects for a long, long time. You know, even with the federal CARES Act funding that we've received, it, it's still just a challenge. Uh, we can't remain um, stable. We have to remain flexible. You know, our entity uh, works upon. Um, a producing environment that basically relies upon having butts and seats. And if you don't have butts and seats, then you can't have that collective kind of uh, artistic experience. And in order to have butts and seats, then you need to have workers physically in the facility in order to facilitate all of that. So, you know, we can't work from home. Uh, we've seen performances going virtual, but you don't have that collective experience. Uh, When you're sitting with 2,000 people and you're all laughing or crying or talking about what you're seeing up on stage, it doesn't happen virtually for us. Um, So again, I just go back to that word of of flexibility. We have to figure out ways to weather the rest of this pandemic, you know, maybe look at um, some more interactive type of virtual performances, or maybe looking at some more outdoor type of performances. Uh, or doing smaller scale indoor performances with people sitting in pods, you know, six feet apart from each other. Um, whatever we have to do to remain vital and viable as, as an institution, then we'll do that if we're flexible.
1: Well, I think we have um, time for maybe one or, or maybe two more questions, but I'll, I'll just uh, put one out one out here and I'll, I'll open this up to anybody who wants to answer. Um, uh, we've seen some high profile companies, Amazon, Apple, uh, others recently change their return to office plans and and even, you know, change from a specific date to uh, an indeterminate one. What's your, what's your advice to leaders who are trying to, I guess, do a few things. I mean, one, um, make the call, make the right call on when to do that, but also to communicate. And, you know, there can be some anxiety with, um, with whether it's anxiety about actually returning to the office or may perhaps the unknown, um, what um, you know, what, what advice would you have to to leaders that are trying to trying to navigate that? And, and Shante, I'll, I'll I'll put that to you.
3: Was, <laughs> well, since
2: well since you mentioned my company, uh, <laughs> uh, so yes, Amazon. You know, every couple of weeks we get a new, and I think we're in maybe January. I, I lost track. I'm a virtual employee anyway. So my commute is on a plane or, or a bus or <laughs> a car or a train. But I, I think the one thing that you have to do, obviously, is communicate. And you're right, it's it's tricky times. I mean, I'm, I'm going to conferences right now, and sometimes I may have to get a COVID test. Sometimes I have to show my vaccination records. You know, you have people who don't want to do either. You know, so how do you make sure that they're still included? Do you still make they're included? It, it's a tricky situation. Sometimes it's a legal situation. If anybody's been watching the news lately in the last couple of 24 hours, it's tricky and it's hard. I think smaller companies have maybe a different, you know, because they may only have five or six employees. So they could actually sit down with their employees and figure out what's going to work for them. Does everybody have to come back in the office? Sometimes, again, if you're a small company, you know, like Leon was saying, they have to be there. We have work that physically, like if if you're producing a manufacturer, you physically have to be in the warehouse or, you know, something of that nature. So I think the one thing that I would say is reach out to your colleagues that you have in the same industry and see what they're doing, because I guarantee your staff is talking to their colleagues and other companies as well. And so you never want to be like, well, you know, what about this other company? But I think you, again, it goes back to what I said before, really looking at, what does make business sense? Does everybody have to come back in the office if your staff isn't comfortable? If they're not comfortable, find out what you could do to make the office environment more comfortable for them. So I think that's also what we kind of miss. You're like, oh, everybody, you know, we're going to work from home. Well, maybe as Leon was said, you could do pods, or can you rearrange your office in a way or have shifts, you know, where somebody comes in, in the morning, somebody else maybe comes in the afternoon, or, you know, but I think it, it's a tricky I wish I had an easier answer. It's a tricky situation just because it is health and people, you know, how we feel about it. But I think the one thing that you can do is figure out what makes the most sense for all of your team, not just your senior leaders, but your entire team.
3: And I probably add to that. So I think, you know, I, I spent some time um, I think, uh, yesterday with our um, uh, chief human resource officer and had, because we have offices all over. And we have several hundred employees at the med decision level, and and um, we had a return to work. This was the day, and then uh, then it came to we're not sure. Uh, to your point, it absolutely has to be communicated, and then it was communicated that listen, the Delta variant has really changed this. We're we're not we're not going to do a. You have to go back, and then it became it really has morphed into this kind of a um, a soft launch is what they're calling it. All of our offices have key codes, so we know. So you can go in whenever you want. There are some rules that you have to follow. But uh, uh, earlier statements, you know, uh, it was the prior panel was <laughs> a little bit of, um, okay, if you wear a mask, but you don't, uh, you're supposed to stay six feet apart. And we were kind of laughing about it. It's Like, what do you do? Carry, you know, pool, you know, party pool things or, or you know, yardsticks? I mean, How in the heck you're going to do that? But I think the two things that, that um, she really pointed out was that culturally you have to be very aware What's happening in the cultural in that particular office, and the other thing that she said is that um, it is to really uh, be very flexible, but to teach you—they're going through an entire teaching of the managers on how um, how to watch for and manage through flexibility. So some want to go into the office for a while and go home, pick up their kid, and then go just stay home and finish their day up. But you know, too much flexibility, you know, there's I guess they found some people who were doing gig jobs, you know, because we were giving them so so much flexibility. They were Uber driving at the, you know, time. So you have to put some some um uh rules around it so that that it makes sense. I think is is probably the best thing that she was talking about, was really looking at you have to be able to to provide the flexibility for them to, to be able to do what they need to do.
0: I think that
4: I, I would um agree with my two panel colleagues here um, and, and I would further say that um, you know you have to do what is right for your particular institution your particular business model uh, I've been talking a lot about the Strathmore but I'll, I'll end up by talking a little bit about workhouse and and we have over um, 60 maybe 65 artists in actual studios this is where they come and they they create their art So if you're going to be throwing a pot, if you're working with clay, if you're working in fusing glass, if you're painting a mural that's 20 feet wide by 20 feet high. uh, You can't really do that at home, you have to be here so what's right for this institution is not going to be right for anyone any other institution. So I would just say you know to leaders, you know, listen to your, to your staff listen to your colleagues listen to your heart, and just do what's right, right for you.
3: I would add to that um, one of the things that they really, really looked at from the CEO level down was is it a business necessity to go back to the office? You, you and I are both we virtual. I have a Dallas office. I've never been in it. They were about to open a brand new office today. Everything shut down. Um, and so it's a beautiful downtown Dallas office, never been in it. And so they had to really look at do we really have to? We've done very, we've done pretty well in a completely virtual world. Uh, so, is it necessary? Is it a forced and, and it's not going to be a forced comeback?
1: Okay. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much to, to everybody. It's been a great discussion, and I um, would love to um, reconvene this at some point in the future. We'd love to have everybody back to one of our, to one of our events, but thanks so much for taking the time uh, today. Thanks again for listening to the Agile World Podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.